One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, hello? Guess who? Me again. Hey, excuse the interruption, but it's a very important interruption. We've decided to put on a show for you, my listeners, who've hung in there and waited and waited, as we have, to get this thing up and running. The show is called The Groomer, and it's about an investigation that I was part of which centred around the distorted world of a pedophile. It's pretty raw, but educational, where I also talk about online grooming with a special guest and the damage that online grooming, or grooming in general, causes to all those involved. So please come and join me on Saturday, the 19th of March, 2022, at the Village Roadshow Theatre at the State Library, 179 Latrobe Street in Melbourne. 7 p.m. start goes till about 9. The tickets are through Eventbrite. Uh, COVID rules will apply and you know the go. Masks, no kissing, no hugging, no smooches, no holding hands, no personal displays of affection. And that's just for me. <laughs> Hope to see you there. Bye. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say, so there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself 
Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. As mentioned last week, in today's podcast, Jane and I talk very openly about how Jane's mental health has been affected by the number of suicides that she's attended in her role as an AMBO. It's not a conversation for everyone, so please consider if you're in the right frame of mind to listen. It is not suitable for children. Uh, Thanks and take care after listening to this podcast today. You talked about your groups of friends. I thought this was interesting because I've never seen it, thought about this way, but you said you had your groups of friends, you put them into almost like compartments, you know, those that you could talk a little bit to, those that you could offload big time, uh, and those who you shielded uh, Mm. from those troubles. As I said, I'd never thought of it like that. Mm. But that's what we do, isn't it? Yeah. And look, you know, it makes me sound quite um, a negative person. And I'm, I'm actually really not. I'm actually quite an optimistic person. But Christmas is a horrible time of year for me because I, you know, people do awful things around Christmas. Um, but I know a couple of people in my social circle who absolutely love Christmas and get so excited about it and you know they want to go out and they want to celebrate and I remember a couple of times sitting across at social things you know where they're talking excitedly about Christmas and I'm thinking fucking hell Christmas is horrible what are you talking about but I can't say that so for those sort of people I really say very little because I feel it's very unfair to take what most people see as a really lovely time of year and just say, actually, no, it's not, it's horrible because, it, you know. Um, and then I have people who um, I'm closer with who I might talk a little bit more openly and a bit more honestly, but still I'm quite aware of the vicarious trauma and also, yeah. you know, like you and I were talking when when I was talking about the photography job, you know, we can talk quite a lot of gore and it doesn't bother us at all. Some people are incredibly squeamish and they really don't want to hear that. Um, And then you have your colleagues, I guess, and um, you, you always have the colleagues that you're particularly close to. But I think it's also, even though things are improving, you want to always appear capable and Uh, someone who is what I would call match fit, you know, because you could work, you can work with different people on every different day. You you could be partnered with someone new. So you want to be reliable on your game up to scratch and on top of everything. So again, if you're struggling on a particular day, you you perhaps don't say anything um, unless it's a, a colleague who's a close friend. So it's it's tricky to navigate who you tell what to, but you definitely do compartmentalise, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think what you're saying is that you're very, very aware of who you let your guard down with and there's very few people that you can completely let your guard down. The only person I've ever found that I can completely let my guard down to was... Um, uh, the beautiful Ingrid, my um, psychologist, mm. she's the only person I've ever been able to uh, completely let my guard down with because 
I sort of felt I had to just to, you know, get it out of my head. So anyway. Look, and I, look, uh, I have to agree with you then, um, Narelle. I think it's yep. the same for me as well. Like I don't really let my guard down at all. I'm always the strong coping one except when I go and see my psychologist. That's the only time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank thank God for all the psychologists and psychiatrists <laughs> out there. I don't know how they do it. To I don't know how they do it either. I apologise so often when I go in because I just think, oh, my God, <laughs> you must be so sick of all the whinging. You've been work all day and you've just had hour after hour of people whinging. Oh, I don't know how they do it. Yeah. Now, look, for the next 20 or 30 minutes, Jane and I are going to be discussing suicide. So I need you to consider whether it's right for you. Suicide is a subject a bit like pedophilia really. It's uncomfortable and it's confronting but if we don't talk about it, we as a community, we won't learn anything about why or how or what it was that got the person to the point of wanting to end it all and then why, how, uh, you know, we could have helped or we can help in preventing it preventing it happening to others. I've got no lived experience in this area, but I remember a podcast I did maybe 12 months ago with my friend and former colleague, Tim Peck, where Tim felt that he had nothing to live for, but found a way out uh, at the very last minute. And he's gone on to become a very successful, I think he's a physiotherapist, but something to do with psycho psychoanalysis or something along those lines, but very, very uh, successful. Uh, but he has used his experience to help others. And that's what Jane and I you know, thought we might do today. Jane has witnessed too many suicides that haven't been able to get past that day that Tim thankfully did. Uh, And she's got some thought-provoking insights that she'd like to share with us. And I suppose Jane will obviously uh, mention this as well, but Jane and I are just talking about our own thoughts, our own experiences, our own ideas. We don't have any... uh, what would you call it, Jane? We don't have any... We don't have uh, any formal qualifications. Well, I don't have any formal qualifications at all, Narelle. I don't have access to statistics or anything like that. It's really just a conversation, I suppose, that um, really just highlights the ripple effect of someone um, choosing to take their own life and Mm. it Mm. really, it has consequences that are so far reaching and it's perhaps just something that we as a community can have a bit of a conversation about I suppose um so that's really the approach Mm. Uh, but you're right too because I suppose years ago if we didn't talk about mental health like we do now if we don't talk about or didn't talk about pedophilia like we do now we wouldn't be as uh, educated as we are. And I'm not saying that we're very educated about it, but at least we're talking about it and we're getting to understand and know, uh, you know, a bit more than we did. And to be honest, that's how I feel about uh, transgender kids. Like I, I never realised the the issues that they had and about how many uh, there are out there 
But until people start talking about it, we don't know. Mm. So that that's why I think it's an important conversation. But as you and I are just saying now, we have no qualifications, but we – you know, we've worked in fields where we've seen it far too often. And I think if we can share some of what we've seen and I, I don't know, maybe it might help somebody else, Jane, but I know you've had your own struggles, uh, not with suicide, I mean with what you have witnessed. Do you, how do you feel about sharing some of some of that with us? Um, I completely agree that I think it's a really important conversation to have and I think it's important to understand that it's a very broad and complex topic. Um, There isn't one or just a handful of reasons that might bring someone to that point where they decide they want to end their life Um, and speaking as someone who's very often on the other end of that decision, I know that over the last 20 years, my feelings and my relationship to suicide, how I feel about it, how I process it is really complicated. And I don't just have one opinion or feel one emotion. It's it's a very complex thing. Um, yeah, so anything really that, that you and I um, discussed today, I'm hoping maybe it might just spark something in someone who's listening perhaps. Mm. Well, yes, and, and if it doesn't, there might be parents out there or brothers or sisters or anybody out there that might be worried about somebody that they love or that they admire, I don't know. But if we can just start that conversation and maybe help somebody, you know. Mm, Exactly. We don't know, do we, Jane? Now, just before when I just rang you to say, everything okay, Jane? You know, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) You you were saying that you listened to my interview with uh, Tim Peck and that had quite an effect on you. Do you you feel like sharing that with us? Yes. Look, um, it did have an effect on me because, um, well, for, for many reasons, I suppose the, the primary role that I have as a paramedic and the primary way that we think about our work is that we can step in and change the direction of what's happening at a particular time. So um, it, we can help with all of the sort of medical things like heart attacks and strokes. Um, we can help with the trauma like car accidents and things like that. And we can actually um, alleviate the symptoms and hopefully get that person moving back in the right direction. And mm. it's a lot more complicated when it comes to mental health. And I remember so clearly the day that I was listening to that particular episode of yours. And um, I was just clearing out rubbish outside and I, I was listening as I was working. And when you started talking, I remembered all of the colleagues that I had lost over the years to suicide. Um, some of whom I knew had struggled for a while, but some were completely unexpected. And it was really difficult listening for me because obviously in the really good outcome that Tim had, he was pulled back from the brink. And I think 
you're left quite often when someone you know commits suicide, you're left quite often with that question of what could I have done? I wish I could have done something. Why didn't I do something? And those are very difficult questions and there's not always an answer. So, And so, Jane, when um, you're talking about, let's say, some of your colleagues mm. that have um, – uh, suicided mm. or ended their life. E- even the word suicide, I have a bit of trouble saying. I don't know if that's the right expression. Like I try and soften it a little bit by saying they ended their life. Mm. Uh, it's funny. I, I don't even. It's, yeah, you, you is suicide say that, the right yeah. word? <laughs> well, I I actually tend to want to use it because it is a stark word, and I think sometimes. And this is just my opinion, but sometimes I think if we say things like ended their life or passed away, it seems like quite a peaceful option. And in my professional experience, it's not a peaceful thing that they're doing. It's quite often violent. It's very disfiguring, ugly, whatever the method is, it's not peaceful. And I think sometimes people do need to hear a word which just perhaps is a little bit harsh just to kind of make them sit up a little bit more. And that's part of my complex response to the whole topic, Mm. I guess. So I do use the word suicide, um, but Mm. I'm more than happy for people to express it however they they feel comfortable. Yeah. Well, well, I think we will continue to use the word suicide and if that offends people I'm sorry but I I think you're right Jane it it isn't a soft word it isn't there's nothing soft about it uh, and we can't ignore that it is uh, it it's desperate measures and and I think the only thing I think about is sometimes people say that you should never I don't not you but there is that um idea that we shouldn't even use the word um, attempted suicide because what they say that means is that they've failed at it and that that's not a good mindset to be in. Well, I've failed at everything else. I even failed to, uh, you know, suicide. Mm. So Mm. it's the words are so important, aren't they, about what to use and what not to use. They are, but, you know, I've I found that they're um, very individual for each for each person because what you said is completely correct. Like I've had quite a few people say to me in hospital, oh, I've failed at that as well then. Um, mm, but on mm. the other hand, I've had quite a few people say, oh, actually, what was I thinking? I'm so glad that I failed, you know. So it's, I don't think we're ever going to find um, language that is going to fit everyone because it's just Mm. so broad. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so, Jane, suicide has been a constant uh, in your career as an AMBO. How has that affected you? Um, Okay, so I'll start this by putting a caveat on it. Um, It's very different. I'm not putting myself in the place of the uh, family and the friends of the people who I have gone to who have either successfully or sometimes unsuccessfully tried to take their life or commit suicide. 
But the suicides that I have seen in 20 years and the people who were left behind as a result of that one person's actions um, has had a profound effect on my life, um, on my physical well-being, my mental well-being and the way that I view the world. And it's, it's, it's really something that I have to devote a lot of energy to um, resolving in my own mind on quite a regular basis so that I can just, you know, go on with a fairly normal life, I suppose. It, it's it's had a profound effect. And that's before we even get to the people who were my colleagues and the people who are my friends who I knew personally, then that's a different layer again. Mm. So I, I keep hearing about the number of police. I don't know the names anymore because I'm out of that, um, out of that hub, mm. I suppose, of um, my they are former colleagues, but I can't get over the number mm. that are, are suiciding, and mm. and it's not just Victoria Police; it, it's uh, the ADF. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, um, as you say, Ambos, and and it does. It, it it's just so fine, or like they don't have a second chance, like Tim. No, and and look. Um... We lost a colleague um, quite close to home uh, just a few months ago and, and the ripple effect from that is, is something that will go on for uh, many years. And I just think that uh, in cases where um, we've got emergency services um, personnel who, for whatever reason, have got to that point where they can't cope anymore, then we really need to look at um, the sorts of resources that are out there and, and the culture of the organisations that, that we work for. And it's not, um, as you said, you, you were with um, Victoria Police, but it's not a state base or even Australia. It, it, it's worldwide in emergency services and it is just that build-up of trauma and grief. And I think sometimes the public think that um, the PTSD that we get um, as emergency services perhaps comes from the uh, horrific things that we see. But as you and I have talked about, actually quite often it comes from bearing witness and absorbing the grief of the people who are left behind. That's actually, for me anyway, um, much more traumatic than seeing someone who is dead. Um, it's, it's the reactions and the grief and sometimes the overwhelming grief of the people who are there um, at the time and that's what causes the, the PTSD for me. I remember Tim talking about about that and I remember him saying that it was the it wasn't so much the job which is exactly what you're saying it's not the person that is dead it is the people that you deal with after that person has died mm. the the grief and the trauma the stress and I'll never forget Tim saying that that's what really uh, did his head in, I suppose, is a sounds a terrible term with what we're talking about, but that's what really did him in was dealing with 
the people left behind. Yeah. And unless you're you're very tough and you're very good at what you do, it's hard not to be affected. And and you just said before that it's had uh, the number of suicides that you have attended mm. has had a pra- a profound effect on you. Mm. Do you feel like sharing some of the effects that it's had on you? Um, oh, goodness me. Well, um, I suppose uh, one sort of example I can share, um, I've had the unfortunate experience in my career of twice having people commit suicide in front of me um, and that is not something that I think I will ever get over. And by that I don't mean that um, I won't be able to function, but that is just something that won't ever leave me. It won't just become just one of the other things that I did in my career. Um, And I think round about the time, there were quite a few years between those incidents, but around the time that they happened, for a long time, I really avoided driving past the place where it happened and in both instances it was quite hard to do that and and um, I would get this sense of dread as I would come up to one particular place and, and um, then I would get these physical symptoms of heart racing and feeling sick and, and sort of a rushing sound in my ears until we were safely through that location and, and somewhere else. And... Um, that lasted for years um, and I don't get those physical sensations now when I drive past those places but every time I do, I'm back on that particular day with that particular person uh, killing themselves in front of me and realising there was nothing that I could do. So that that's sort of one example but i think um going back to talking about the people who were left behind and i think that's probably what i want to emphasize more um i mean people kill themselves for a multitude of different reasons and even if they leave a note honestly we may never know what's going on But universally, I have never, ever, ever gone to a job where someone has committed suicide and not had absolute distraught, screaming, grief-stricken, like the... What I want to say is I think that perhaps people, when they get themselves in that mindset, they think that their loved ones will be better off without them in my experience of doing all of these jobs, I have never, ever seen that. I, no relative has ever said, oh, well, I'm quite relieved now. They are absolutely distraught and they will never get over it. And um, I think when you're involved with the family and friends at that most horrible moment in their life, you absorb some of that grief like you you just wouldn't be human so even though you don't outwardly display that it it you carry it and I think it's just that it's filling up that that jar you know each job 
is another few drops in the jar of other people's grief. And I think that's, you know, that's really where we start to become a bit unwell ourselves as, as people in the emergency services. I mean, the police deal with it so much as well, so much, mm. you know. Mm. Mm. I, I always remember Tim saying, I know we keep going back to Tim, but it had quite uh, a profound effect on me as well because Tim to the outside world was probably one of the most confident outwardly competent policeman I've ever worked with. Mm. He had this sort of aura of he just he was just a really good policeman, but underneath that he was a a broken man and I'll never forget him saying in that podcast he said something along the lines that he'd he'd mucked up in every aspect of his life, or he felt he had. And he actually said he felt his wife and kids would be better off without him. So that that is obviously a very, very... This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
strong thought that a lot of people struggling with their mental health think, you know, they'd be better off without me, I'm uh, a burden, I'm useless, Mm. all those Mm. sorts of things. Like, God, what that must do to somebody's mind. Yeah. And and again, um, obviously um, a disclaimer that I'm not speaking statistically here but just in my own experience I think that there's a particular cohort of people um, who get to that point of desperation and in my experience it tends to be um, a man perhaps in his 40s or 50s who's outwardly quite successful, um, Mm -hmm. family, wife, kids, house, job, the whole thing, and something has gone wrong and there's a crisis point for this man in his life, whether it's work or finance or something, and he's got himself to the point where he feels that his family would be better off without him because he's he sees himself in a completely different way to the way the family see him. They just, they want him, but he feels like he's got to be this overarching support and and the leader of the family. And I've been to jobs where uh, men have written notes saying that and then the wives have read them and been screaming, how could they be so stupid? Why would we be better off without you? Um, you know, I've also been to jobs where fortunately the um, man in a similar crisis has not been successful and I've actually been in the house where, again, the wife has been shaking him and saying, how could you be so ridiculous, you know, and and, and I think that particularly for men, they're still not having enough conversations about what their role is in society and how to develop some resilience so that if something goes wrong in your external or your your professional life or whatever it is that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and just you, you know you, there's got to be some coping strategies and I, I think I mean obviously women commit suicide as well and and that's a whole other thing but just this one particular cohort I've noticed and it makes me so frustrated and sad and angry because that's one of those sorts of groups of people where you just want to reach in and go just stop a minute just stop because maybe there's another way but if they don't stop then all of these people will live with this for decades and it's it's just it's so so Mm. sad Mm. and I don't mean this the way it's going to sound but you're just an ambo Mm. that's going to these jobs Mm. and and it has affected you and it will as you say you know for the rest of your life yeah and but the people that are, are related to this person the people that love them and Oh, I, th- I think you would have a lifetime of, as I think you mentioned it before, what could I have said? What could I have done? Why didn't I see the signs? Mm. But but often there aren't signs. No. I mean, I think uh, looking back, and I, I keep going back to Tim because he's the only person that I've ever spoken to so openly about this. And uh, as I said at the start, I don't have... I think there was a young uh, school friend when I was about 16 that uh, committed suicide. 
uh, but he is the only person that I've ever known, uh, you know, close. Oh, my goodness, I'm, I'm touching wood here. Uh, so Tim's the only one I've ever spoken to so openly about it. Mm. And it, Tim is what, why, why is it that men in particular feel, is it us as the community, is us as wives or uh, daughters or sisters, is it us that's making them feel like they've got to be this perfect person? You know, they're, they're there to protect us. They're, they're supposed to do all these things. I don't know where this pressure comes from, but we're doing something wrong, aren't we, that men feel like they have got to be the, this perfect person uh, Oh, what's not a um, a perfect supporter? Yeah. You know, a perfect person in so many ways. Look, I think, I think, and I hope that that society is changing, and those much more traditional roles are um, being superseded by something that's actually probably better for society as a whole. Anyway, you know, certainly better for women, but better for men as well so and I do think that men have got somewhat better about discussing their feelings but look I mean another cohort of people that that I just I again I'm choosing my words carefully because I don't want to cause offense but but um another cohort of people where they've suicided and it makes me angry um I've been to a few where there's been an argument and one of them has thought to themselves or said right I'll show you and actually gone in the middle of an argument where everything's heated and just gone and topped themselves and I just at that point I really I almost struggled to find the right words to express it because I just think that's such an impulsive thing that you can never take back. Um, and that happens more often, I think, than people might realise. Um, and and people who uh, decide to kill themselves and do it in a way where they know that uh, their loved one is going to find them and they deliberately set out to cause them a lot of trauma because they're angry with them. Um, there's all sorts of really, uh, excuse me for swearing, but there's all sorts of really fucked up things that people do to each other around the time that they've decided that they want to kill themselves. And, and I'm just highlighting these, I suppose, in contrast to how we normally think about people who commit suicide, which is people who have struggled for years and years and years with mental health and mm. they just get to a place mm. where they can't do it anymore. Well, that's a, mm. a different cohort again. But these yeah. really, really impulsive ones um, where you were saying, well, what could we have done? And in that particular instance, there's absolutely nothing because you can't decide that you're never going to disagree with anyone just in case they go and kill themselves or you can't decide you're never going to have an argument with your partner about the dishwasher or whatever it is in case they go down to the garage and kill themselves you know it's um oh it's such a complex thing um but I think I think we have all I don't know anybody that hasn't been that angry at times where you've 
not that I've ever thought like that, but, you know, maybe you want to throw something or you want to bang a door Mm. or like I I understand people that get that angry. Um, I don't know if I understand it, but, yeah. Like everyone deals with anger differently, but what you're saying is that impulsive. Uh, I don't. I, I. I can't deal with my anger. I've got to do something, and they do something drastic like that. That's right. That's right. And mm. and look, um, really, sadly and unfortunately, that does happen a little bit with teenagers, and I've. I'm, had some horrific experiences with that. But I think as people move into their 30s, 40s and 50s, um, it's, oh, gosh, I'm really choosing my words here. (laughs) Um, I wanted to say the word childish, but what I mean is that impulsiveness, you you would hope that someone who's an adult would just look beyond the heat of the moment there for a second and just say, hang on, I might be angry with my partner, but but this is a step too far and, you know, uh, but they don't and uh, it's just such a waste. It's such a waste. Oh, it is, mm. it is. Jane, I don't know if this is the right thing to ask, but I'm going to ask. <laughs> when you said before, mm. and I'm trying to work out how could this be, but you said before that, You've had a number of people, or two or three, I think you said, people suicide in front of you. Mm. I don't quite understand. Like, if you were, if you're a police person, I would understand that somebody might get a gun and shoot themselves in front of you. Yes, but you are a response unit. So, do you mean they've run out in front of the ambulance, or no, no? Um- Look the f- and tell me if I'm go- tell me if I'm going too far. I just can't quite grasp how, and or have they died in front of you know as you've ran in the door and they've passed away. Then that's I don't quite understand how that could happen. So the the two incidents that I'm referring to, um, one actually happened. Uh, I was in my first eight weeks in the job, Narelle, and. Um, oh. We were driving across uh, a big bridge in the city and Ah, we saw a car had pulled up on the side of the bridge and there was a guy standing outside his car and then he actually flagged us down. So we weren't going to him. He saw us and he flagged us down. And then we spent probably about half an hour with him on the top of the bridge and One of the things that um, always stands out to me is the environment because when you drive across, you know, any of these large bridges that we have in the cities around Australia, you don't think about how it would feel to actually be standing on the bridge and the traffic noise is really quite intense and so you might be standing just a couple of metres away from someone but you're having to shout to get over the noise of the traffic And then if there's a wind, there's a a little bit of movement in the bridge, which is designed to do. But, yeah, so you're sort of swaying on this bridge and it's really noisy. And anyway, um, we were up there with him 
negotiating with him and as we were doing that he was climbing from one side of the railing to the other so he'd be on the safe side then he'd climb over and then he'd climb back towards us and then he'd climb back over again and eventually um because we'd asked the police to come and and they were coming um, quietly as fast as they could. And I think that he saw the uh, police coming up the side of the bridge and um, Mm. he stepped over and he he jumped. Okay. And, yeah, it just, um, I mean, I can still feel, just in me telling you this, and this is 20 years ago, I, I still feel my heart racing in talking about it because it wasn't um gory in any way because he just stepped over and he disappeared so one second he was there and then he was gone um so that was the first instance um and then the second one uh unfortunately uh someone set fire to themselves in front of us and I know you and I have talked about we've had very similar experiences with that and um, he was able to be put out quite quickly. But at the, the unnerving thing about that particular one was that he burnt himself so severely that he wasn't in any pain and he was still completely awake. So he was sitting there talking to us and uh, with all of us understanding that, you know, he was uh, going to die fairly soon but he wasn't in any pain. Um, But he did that in a public place. So it's not just the emergency services that would have been traumatised by that, but people walking past. Same with the guy who jumped from the bridge, you know, people driving their cars across the bridge. So both of those were in public. um, Mm. And, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I understand, oh, I feel terrible asking you. No, no, no. and now I understand, but I also now understand I've, I have obviously done a number of podcasts that must have triggered you terribly because I've also done a podcast and you and I have discussed this and I'd forgotten about it until just now when you said it, but I had the same instance with Julie. Yes. And, and you've obviously listened to that podcast. Mm. I'm thinking to myself, I must, Narelle must be a trigger for you. <laughs> Almost 24-7. <laughs> well, can I tell you, um, after I found your podcast, I, I did space out my episodes. I certainly wasn't binge listening. <laughs> I bet you did. You know, every now and then I think to myself, oh, why don't I just have somebody on that week? I mean, you can always find a laugh. Like, l- listen to us, we're laughing mm. and we're talking about suicide. Who would have ever thought? But And you do have to... Uh, well, you've got to let off steam somehow, but I just think to myself sometimes, why don't I just do a podcast about something happy? <laughs> but then, but then my my theme is about crime, mm. and crime is not people don't come to you because they're happy. Oh, I guess what just happened to me, and the same with an ambo. Yeah. Oh no, oh, no, hang on. You do have. Some good things happen as an Ambo, don't you, because you help deliver babies. Have you ever delivered a baby? Well, you know what, Narelle, only um, 
We do placements, or when I trained, we did placements in hospitals um, and we particularly did an obstetrics placement. So back then I did. Yeah. And I'm breaking, yeah. I'm breaking a cardinal rule here because <laughs> I haven't delivered a baby on the road, but the fact that I've actually said that to you now probably means I'll get one next week. So <laughs> if that happens, I'll be phoning you. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do think to myself, my goodness, poor Jane, you know, mm. God, everything I everything I say must be a trigger. But it also shows just how closely related first responders are, whether you are a fiery, an AMBO, a police person, uh, you know, in an emergency service, uh, emergency service, an emergency department at a hospital. You know, we deal with these things and, and they are reality. And I think sometimes people might get a bit sick of the, well, not woe, 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 but the really tough stuff. But that's our life, isn't it? It is. Or it was. And it was mine. It is. And I think, though, um, the podcasts um, such as yours where, um, you know, it comes from the place of someone who's actually lived that experience. It becomes a little bit like a, a community support group. And I'm sure you've got quite a diverse range of, of listeners and followers and stuff, but I would put a pretty large bet on the fact that you've probably got quite a few cops and quite a few ambos um, because we relate so closely. It, it gives mm. you that sense of, well, I'm not the only one going through this, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, the, the number of police that I get that respond is incredible. Yeah. And and I think if that's, oh, I'm sure I'm helping others, but if that's the only people I help, mm. I, I think, yep, that's a tick for me because I think sometimes, well, when you're, actually serving as a police person, you're allowed to, you know, you have to go through that many bloody hoops to talk to the media and people don't get to hear about those day-to-day issues you have. And that's I think right. it's important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that's it. In your, let's say, 20, what would it be, 20-plus years mm. that you've been in an, uh, in an AMBO, um, as an AMBO, how many suicides would you have been to? Oh, um, it's, it's very strange because the kind of work that we get, um, comes in fits and starts. Um, yeah, isn't it funny how that goes? Yeah. And, um, again, not to be disrespectful, but the way we speak, we might say, oh, I've had a really bad month and it would seem that all of a sudden there's this cluster of horrendous things happening and then you might have a couple of months where nothing or stuff happens but you don't go, you know, so you don't mm, personally mm. see it. But, oh, gosh, um, let me think. At least probably if I also count up, um, my time as a photographer as well, which we talked about before, oh, well over a couple of hundred, I would say. <gasps> really? Mm. If I put those two jobs together, I would say so, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've, I'm thinking you might say, oh, I don't know, 15, 20. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Jane, that's, oh, really? Mm. Mm. 
I think, look, I mean, if I hadn't done the photography job, if it was just ambulance that we were talking about, then I would say it was less, obviously. And um, as you and I mentioned before, um, in the photography job, um, it's a little bit easier because you don't have to deal with the families. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I think if I'd done 200 in ambulance, I think I'd be, <laughs> I'd be pretty cooked, but, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, it's too many. It's too many. Mm. So in closing, for those people out there, you said that you had a couple of colleagues that had unfortunately, uh, committed suicide mm. and you must've thought, what did, well, here I am telling you, I, I'm sure you tell me if I'm wrong. You must have thought, why didn't I see any signs? What could I have said? What could I have done? Do you have any oh, advice or, and again, this is just us, you know, we're not experts, but. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. So look, um, I do remember with one of my colleagues, but I also, in speaking to families um, after their family member has suicided, you do often hear, oh, but they were so much happier in the last month. Yes, you're right. And I, this is my personal Mm. opinion, um, I think if we're talking about the cohort of people who have struggled for many years with their mental health so not the people that uh, are really impulsive but the people who've really struggled when they make that decision that right their life has an end point and it's two weeks on Tuesday or it's next month or whatever it is they can let go of a lot of that weight and that burden which they've been carrying and the only thing that perhaps I would say as advice, if there's someone in your life who you know has had a long history of mental health and has really struggled, if you notice all of a sudden they're really happy, it sounds it sounds horrible, doesn't it? Then maybe, you know, if, it, if they seem really happy, then maybe they're going to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's... If you notice a change in anyone's mood that seems quite different, whether it's really sad to really happy or the other way around, just check in and and really check in. And sometimes you might have to ask more than once because people will just brush it off Mm. and people still do feel judged or it's too painful, or they, they're not sure if you really want to listen. So you really have to pick your moment and, and pull them aside and say, you know, I've noticed there's been a few changes lately. How are you? Mm. Um, and ask an open question rather than a closed question. Don't just say, are you okay? And I don't mean to rubbish the day at all, but that's a closed question. And you can really easily just say, yes, and that's the end of the conversation. Just, um, you know, what's been happening with you? How are you traveling? Mm. Ask an open question. Mm. Mm. Um, and maybe, maybe that just might be a little chink of light, you know. Mm. And I'm just thinking to myself, it's difficult because it's going places that we as 
you know, worried about somebody may not want to go. But I think sometimes you've you've actually got to spell it out to say, I've just noticed lately you're not yourself. Yeah, or that's it. Or I've noticed blah, blah, blah. And so that they know you're not just asking uh, as a passing, g'day, how are you, that you've mm. noticed something. And you've got to be ready for them to say, well, actually, have you got an hour because, or half an hour because I need to talk to somebody. And imagine telling, asking them that and then saying, look, I'm sorry, you know, I've got my dentist appointment in 10 minutes. You just... Yeah, you've, as you say, right. you've got you've got to pick your time, don't you? And your place—you have to pick your time. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of things you've got to you've got to pick at the right time. And maybe the other thing I would say is that I think we often um, have a tendency to want to solve a problem for someone. And again, if you're talking about someone who's had years long history with their mental health. It's highly unlikely that anything you offer as a solution is going to be something that they haven't already tried. That's right. So I think it's really, really important to understand how much um, comfort you can give to someone just by being a good listener. You don't have to solve a problem. Mm. You don't have to try to solve a problem. Mm. Just listen. Mm you know, um, and that sometimes makes a, a massive difference. Mm. And I think that that's something we might finish on because that's very true, that you can't solve everybody's problems but you mm. can listen. And mm. that's probably our main message, Jane, that yeah. talking to somebody and listening, don't feel like you have to solve the problems of the world. Well, look, Jane, it's been... <sighs> Fascinating, fascinating to hear your story and just to think if we could just go back a couple of weeks when I said, asked you if you're interested in being on my podcast, oh, I don't think I'm, you know, of much interest, Narelle. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done too bad, have we? <laughs> <laughs> We've managed to put together a few minutes, Narelle, yeah. <laughs> we have anyway look it's been a pleasure thanks Jane good luck with everything and thank you for uh, opening up and sharing you know some pretty private moments so thanks thanks Jane thank you so much for the opportunity Narelle it's a pleasure hey it's Narelle here again thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How 
exciting. Simply go to www.patreon. That's P for Peter. A-T-R-E-O-N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.